There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner, we're under pressure as our first movie is a killer queen biopic that has one vision, to be able to shout, we are the champions in a flash. We were in two minds whether to settle this week's clash with a bicycle race, but decided against it. One thing we can say is that when another one bites the dust, the three of us will still be here because friends will be friends right till the end. Don't stop me now because it's a kind of magic from 2018. It's Bohemian Rhapsody. Enjoyed the show. I also write songs. Our lead singer just quit. Then you'll need someone new. I love the way you move on stage. The whole room belongs to you. Don't you see what you could be? No one will play us on the radio. We need to get experimental. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. Do it again. One more. How many more Galileos do you want? Roger, there's only room in this band for one hysterical queen. While in the blue corner, Bohemian Rhapsody might be your song, but hold on, the bitch is back. So listen up, you honky cat, because this week's challenger is going to sacrifice nothing to be able to say at the end of the battle, I'm still standing. And should it emerge, the winner don't expect an apology, as sorry seems to be the hardest word to say. 
We won't let the sun go down until we find out which movie is best. Can you feel the love tonight for 2019's Rocket Man? Feeling in I could hear the whole tune in my head. It was all there, I could see all the notes, and I just had to get it out. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. What did you say your name was again? My name is... Reggie! Reginald Dwight. Reginald. That's my granddad's name. So that is a fat boy from nowhere. Get to be a soul man. You gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. But that's my name. Yeah, I know. You could be the best-selling artist in America if you desire. I was trying to do something bold. Why are you still something flashy? Can you even play the piano in those? Let them know who you are. And just don't kill yourself with drugs. So what connects these two films and which one will emerge victorious at the end of this week's Clash? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. The Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Uh, I hope you're well. Uh, dear listeners, how are the both of you? Fantastic. Exhausted, actually, after listening to your introduction. <laughs> are, you, are you not a bit knackered from all of that? Very well I've done. done. I've done nothing. Nothing since last week's clash till now, but work on that introduction. <laughs> well, it shows. Good for you. Yeah, it's pretty pretty special, wasn't it, Chris? Did you did you enjoy it? I I think part of me was hoping that you would enjoy it. I approve. Great. That's uh, it's about the uh, the same level of praise as I've got uh, my entire life from you. So thank you, thank you. Uh, right, this week. We have another movie land battle royale as Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man go head to head this week on Clash Pod. So the clue that you put on a Twitter, Chris, was the show must go on. It's at Clash Pod. If you don't follow us on Twitter, you should. At Clash Pod is our handle on Twitter. So a few guesses based on the clue the show must go on. Uh, this is still a brilliant tool for gathering future episodes. So thank you <laughs> to everyone who tweeted us. Uh, Mark Shea said, the show must go on. Chicago versus Cabaret. Good. This is the C said, the show must go on. Moulin Rouge versus The Greatest Showman. I think that's a great call for a future yeah. episode. Love that. Uh, Carl Smart went, the show must go on, burlesque versus showgirls. We've been looking for something to put showgirls with. Chris, thoughts? Yeah, 100% behind it. We've we've done male strippers. Let's get the women on stage. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded so awful. Just, let's get the women. Uh, you sounded yeah. like you you sounded like a CD club owner from 1980 Soho going, "Ah, this isn't working. Let's get the women on stage." <laughs> no, I like it. It's a good double. 
<laughs> Good. Uh, that's a future episode. Thank you, Carl Smart. Uh, Hawkhead Whiskey Smoked, uh, which I found out is a brand that does smoked salt and whiskey. Um, what would you call it? Syrups. Anyway, they said the show must go on. Highlander versus Flash Gordon. I, I'm all over that. That's a great one. V? Uh, you, I know that Chris really wants to do Flash Gordon. That is a good idea. What's that got to do with the show must go on? Queen did the music for Flash Gordon and Queen kind of did the music for Highlander. It's right, a kind okay. of magic being yeah, yeah. the unofficial soundtrack album. So yeah, so it yeah. works. It works. Yeah. Uh, and uh, finally, before we reveal the winner, one that I don't think we'll be doing came from Chris J. Knowles, who said, the show must go on. The Prestige versus the shitter one with Edward Norton in it. I tell you what, I, I've nearly suggested that before because it's such an obvious bearing. Like, I think people want to hear it. I don't know. <laughs> I um, want to talk I, about the illusionist for an hour, though. I'm not. I'm no, I don't. Full, I mean, obviously, but, right. you know. I mean, that's where it falls down. I mean, Chris J. Knowles couldn't even remember it was called The Illusionist. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's I don't think it's begging to be done. <laughs> uh, and finally, our winner this week, I think he might have got one right before. But nevertheless, he got this first answer in from Russell which was Bohemian Rhapsody versus Rocketman. Well done, Russell. If one day we have some merchandise, we may send you something one day. Right then, Chris, you pick these movies. Tell us why. You know what? These are the first two. These are the most recent films we've covered pretty much, uh, other than Joker. But uh, for both of the films to have come out in pretty much the time we've been doing this podcast, I think you and I, Alex, had our first meeting about this just after Bohemian Rhapsody came out. And to be honest, I can remember us having slightly drunk conversations or almost arguments about one of these films in the pub. And I thought, oh, that would be good to have that conversation again sober on the podcast. Plus, I think they're two interesting uh, films to compare. There's a lot of similarities, and I'm sure you're going to give me some now. Okay, you want to do the connections. Mm. Um, I, shall I start? I'll, 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 I'll start the ball rolling. Here's one connection that I found. Um, it's the connection. Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> I'll explain, because your silence is deafening. Uh, <laughs> John Reed is in both movies. Uh, John Reed, music manager, is in both movies, uh, who managed oh, yeah. Elton John. and then John. Aidan Gillen and Sexy Richard Madden. It was Aidan Gillen That's in Game right. of Thrones? Yes. He was. He, yeah, he, was. He, played, um, he played Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. Richard yes. Madden obviously played Rob Stark. So, And they're both playing the same character in both of these bloody movies. How about that, Chris? Do you like that? That is amazing. That is very specific, isn't it, that connection? Yeah, well, yeah. Daddy did his homework. Never saying that again. <laughs> Never saying that again. Oh, my God. <laughs> v- <laughs> Vicky, help me out. Say something else. Uh, bad dads equals great rock stars. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I, I thought, I thought I along have... those lines, actually, I had one that the, the moral of the story is don't trust the guy in the suit. Yes. Mm. Hmm. Uh, how about this Games Master Series 3 <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get that Games Master, <laughs> Games Master Series 3 is the connection because that's after I, Dominic I, Diamond left uh, the, uh, the the TV show and Dexter Fletcher took over the TV show <laughs> the series set in an oil rig he directed at least in part both these movies Dexter Fletcher Games Master <laughs> I remember it all, used to, it, it all used to rhyme when he said it Um, i tell you one thing these films uh, this is the most i've ever said that's a bit on the nose 
in my entire life. <laughs> Watching these films, <laughs> scenes, dialogue, moments, and I just kept that a bit on the nose. I kept writing it down. <laughs> especially, especially Bohemian Rhapsody. But we'll come to that. Um, another couple, uh, Men in Kimonos. <laughs> Both movies feature scenes with men in kimonos, which I don't know why. I'm, I'm not a fan of a man in a kimono. Yeah, and I thought, have we had, have we had that before? Manhunter, I think, had a had a serial killer in a kimono, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's probably where it came from. Uh, okay, finally then, uh, my last one. Drugs are bad and make you not nice. <laughs> Agreed. Vicky, any more? No, that's it. I mean, I've got the obvious one, but I'll let you do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're battered of the to- it's a battle of the tortured, closeted music artists who sold hundreds of millions of records. But let's simply call it the battle of the biopics. Nice. Snappy. I like it. Um All right, then, the Battle of the Biopics. Uh, You gave me Bohemian Rhapsody, which came out before Rocketman. Shall I make a start? Do it. Yes. Do it! Here we go, then. This week, Christopher gave me Bohemian Rhapsody, the story of Heathrow baggage handler Farouk Bulsara, who has dreams of becoming a rock star. Well, it didn't take long for the mercury to start rising as he renames himself Freddie Mercury. And with Brian May, Roger Taylor and John Deacon goes about becoming a bona fide rock god as the band Queen go from strength to strength. Cue Freddie living the high life. Drugs, drink, proper rock star decadence. Apparently, you wouldn't think it to watch this film (laughs) where Freddie seemingly goes a bit weird for no discernible reason. <laughs> Eventually, the movie culminates in what is undoubtedly one of the greatest live performances in history as Queen take the stage at Live Aid, which in turn becomes one of cinema's great musical moments. Ladies and gentlemen, Bohemian Rhapsody for your consideration. Mark these words. No one will play Queen. Fortune favours the bold. Freddie, concerning your private life. What more do you need to know? I make music. I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. What's the lyric? Ready, Freddie? Let's do it. You need to slow down, Fred. I just need a bit of time. If I don't have time. You're a legend, Fred. We're all legends. So, what are your individual histories with this movie? I mean, Chris, you already started. We argued about it in a pub anymore. Kind, kind <laughs> of. I think I hadn't I hadn't seen it because I'd heard something about it that I didn't like the sound of. And I think I asked you about this thing, which we'll come to. And you said, yeah, you're right. That's what happens. And I said, that's annoying. I'm not seeing it. So I didn't watch it for a long time. And then I watched it one Saturday night when I was a bit pissed after coming back from the football. Um and, and so this, um, 
I, I didn't like it. And then, uh, so this, uh, so this was a second watch for me, um, watching it for this podcast, but this time sober. V, what about you? Where, where do you stand on this movie? This is the second time I've seen it. The first time I saw it, sort of by accident, because it's at the moment, it's like my brother-in-law's favourite film, and he has seen it about 10 times. And so if you're ever just at my sister's house, chances are Bohemian Rhapsody just might be on the telly because he just watches it so frequently. So I, I caught it. <laughs> like a child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a child who has a favourite movie and every put it on. You've seen it. Put it yeah. on again. I like it. Right. Yeah, he loves it. So I watched it sort of by accident and I did like it. And then um, I wasn't, yeah, I don't know. So this is my second time. And so I didn't have that same... Um, and there was no element of surprise and like awe of, at the songs and stuff like that. But obviously it meant I could pay a bit more attention to the narrative stuff second time around. So um, I have to go back a bit further and it seems only fair to set my stall out early with this because I love Queen and I loved Queen um, as a child. Before I was 14 years old, I listened to exclusively three bands and those bands were the Beach Boys, Michael Jackson, obviously not a band, a solo artist and Queen. And that was it exclusively those three artists until I was 14 and Nevermind came out and everything changed. But until 14, I listened to a lot of Queen. I had Queen's Greatest Hits Volume 2 on cassette. My mum had Queen's Greatest Hits on the vinyl. My friend had Queen's Greatest Flicks 2 on VHS. So I was immersed in a world of Queen and I loved this band a lot. So I saw the actual movie as a screener before it came out because I ended up hosting the world premiere of this film at Wembley, um, which ticked all kinds of things to achieve in life boxes, interviewing Brian May and Roger Taylor, literally a stone's throw from where they performed Live Aid back in 1985, which was really, really cool. Although um, I will say this, when Roger Taylor says, um, I'm just going to answer two questions, he bloody means it. <laughs> so Roger Taylor comes on stage and I ask him uh, a question, which is kind of like, oh, what about this then? As in the event, which to me isn't a question. That's just a like a warm-up thing. <laughs> but it counts as a question, apparently, because then I asked him a second question about what do you make of the story Free Mercury in the Bank Queen? Da, 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 da. And he was like, blah, 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 and talked about it. And then I went, so my last question. And he went, nope, that's two, and walked off stage. Bloody <laughs> hell. <What a> guy. <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> I was like, I mean, if it was anyone else, I'd be like, how dare you? But it's Roger Taylor in one of my favorite bands, so it's fine. Brian May, on the other hand, couldn't get rid of him. Loves a chat. <laughs> Absolutely loves a chat. <laughs> He's a nice man, but isn't no, he, it, Brian May? He he's bloody lovely. I mean, honestly, it was more for me in the end. I was just standing on stage, just like chatting to a bloke, and he was so normal and so like, all right, how you doing? Blah, blah. It was great. So um, so yeah, that was a big moment for me. And when I first saw the movie, uh, before the premiere, I, I was I loved it. I really loved it, and it was great to be able to go out on stage at Wembley and go, ladies and gentlemen, Queen! <laughs> like, uh, like, in front of an audience. It was proper great. Um, watched it again for the podcast. Oh, I've got problems this time. I've got problems now. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's this bloody podcast making me look at things with this analytical brain that I sometimes have. It's... Um, well, let's just go through it. 
let's just go through it and we'll uh, we'll see where we end up. Um, so a little bit of background on the movie. Uh, stop me at any point if you think I've missed something or indeed got something wrong, because facts are going to be a huge important part of this week's show. <laughs> <laughs> Don't turn off. Fun facts, just facts. Can I jump in and say, I feel like... This is a biopic, a, a true story where I don't think a single scene that we see play out in the film happened in real life like that. <laughs> not, not a single second apart from the performance yeah. at the end. Yeah. So so I, I thought after I'd finished watching it, I thought I'd do um, just a little fact check or because that's popular uh, right now. Thank you, Twitter, um, where I thought I'd fact check um a couple of points that I thought might not be exactly as they were right. Uh, my fact check expedition took about seven hours because <laughs> it's, it is everything. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, right. What? What the fuck? Jesus Christ. Come on. Like, you're right, Chris. So little of this movie is real. But as we go through, we will uh, elaborate on what those um, deviations from the truth are. So strap in. Uh, it was written by Anthony McCartan, uh, who has a double Oscar nominee, uh, The Theory of Everything and The Two Popes being his Oscar nominations, directed by Brian Singer and Dexter Fletcher. Although only one director can be credited to a film by the Directors Guild of America rules. So it's Brian Singer who gets the credit, even though he was fired with three weeks to go on filming for not turning up to set. Now, this is either because his mother was ill and he asked for time off or because he's fallen out with Rami Malek and the atmosphere on set was not good. Either way, that's pretty much all I have on the singer side of things, apart from how enjoyable it was watching the people involved in this movie during the 2019 awards season manage to talk about a film without mm. ever mentioning <laughs> that the film had a director. It was <laughs> in. Incredible. Like, if you listen to, like, the producer Graham King or Rami Malik or anyone on a red carpet, it sounds like they just got a cast together, put some cameras around them, pressed record, and the film happened. It just sort of happened. <laughs> like, they didn't need anyone to direct it. It just kind of happened. So, um, so they yeah, they had, they had anything had else? Did they have Dexter Fletcher locked away in a cupboard as well by this point? Because he obviously finished the film and then pulled it all together uh, with the producers and the, and the editor in the edit room. But he wasn't allowed to actually talk after that point. Mm, and, he, yeah. and he said very little on the subject since as well. I think it's all part of his contract. Yeah, um, I think so too. Um, although, again, it's quite difficult to find out. Exa I mean, he did certainly, I think you're right, Chris, he did certainly put it together. But in terms of what he actually shot on set, it's difficult to find out the exact amount. Um, so, more interesting than in the uh, Brian Singer debacle is um, the original casting for this film was Sasha Baron Cohen as Freddie Mercury. Now, this was back in 2010, and quite famously, Sasha Baron Cohen had a different idea of what he wanted the movie to be to Brian May and Roger Taylor from Queen. So Sasha Baron Cohen wanted a very R-rated, warts and all biopic of Freddie Mercury that was going to be directed by Stephen Frears. Now, when I first heard this, I was all over it. 
Perhaps for the wrong reason, though, because obviously, you know, Sacha Baron Cohen from Borat and Bruno. And so I think my brain made a, a, a leap that wasn't true and thought it was going to be some sort of crazy mockumentary, like a really dark spinal tap, which it was never going to be. But I quite like the sound of. But he no, didn't I mean, like. Uh, go on. I was excited by it. Just the thought of him. It was clear that he was uh, maybe going to try and move into more serious acting. And he has done that in the last couple of years, Sacha Baron Cohen. But it was just exciting, the idea of seeing him play Freddie Mercury. You know, someone that funny and ostentatious and and um, charismatic. It, it seemed like a really good match. And physically as well. I mean, he's tall. He has the build of Freddie Mercury. Um, yeah, I, I could have seen him as Freddie Mercury. Stephen Frears says of it that um, Sasha wanted to make a very outrageous film, one that I imagine Freddie Mercury would have approved of. Outrageous in terms of his homosexuality and outrageous in terms of endless naked scenes. Sasha loved all that. And then Frears goes on to say, you could always tell there would be trouble with the rest of the band because Sasha was so outrageous and they weren't. They were much more conventional. And the best part of this story is... A story that when I first heard, I both found unbelievable and ridiculous and just just one of those what moments. I think he was on the Howard Stern show, and this was much, much later, like I think about 2016, and he said the real reason or part of the reason that he left this movie was difficulties with the script because one of the members of Queen said that they wanted the film to be... Freddie Mercury passing away halfway through <laughs> and that the remainder of the film would show how after his death, the band carried on and went from strength to strength, mm. which is a proper, <laughs> what the hell are you thinking moment? I yeah. think as he puts it, he puts it like, uh, uh, who would go and watch a biopic in which your protagonist exits halfway through? It's yeah. nuts. Yeah, yes. you, this is you told you told us that I think in the pub, and at the time I said, "Piss off!" That can't possibly be true. <laughs> but 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 there was a there was kind of a war of words almost between them. I don't think Sasha Baron Cohen said too much, but certainly Brian May and the Queen guys have sort of come out and said it was all wrong with him, and he, you know, they, they they've said things about each other in the press that weren't particularly pleasant. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's it is. If you really put on your cynical head, you can look at it like, I mean, are you making this movie to basically go, Queen are, are still touring, and if you uh, look at the bottom of the cinema screen right now, you'll see a website where you can buy tickets to our brand new tour. It's sort of, is it that level of cynicism? I don't know, but it is um, a bad idea that clearly um, went away. Well, what so, about like what about a halfway well, point? Because well, obviously we'll get into this, but one of my biggest issues second time round is that They've tried to do too much and try to sort of be all things to all people. You can't tell their story without telling Freddie Mercury's story, obviously. But they haven't told Freddie Mercury's story in a way that would be acceptable to lots of people. So in a way, you're trying to... And also, there's some elements of his story that you could, on one side of the fence, say it's not their story to tell. Um but then they do reinforce throughout the film that they're like a family. And, and if they were actual family members telling Freddie's story in this particular way and sort of chopping up the timeline of how things really happened, maybe that would be a bit more agreeable. So in some ways, it's 
it's maybe they've tried to do the right thing because they maybe they did know him better than anyone else in the world because we would never know. Or you could be cynical and say they want to present a new version of him uh, that better mm. sits with them kind of thing. Yeah, I am... Um... Yeah, I, I, just one point about what you said. I do feel a little bit for Anthony McCartan, who um, who said, uh, like, if you're if you're the scriptwriter for this, and the two, like Brian May and Roger Taylor, come to you and go, I, we need to be represented as a family, so we can't have any arguments on screen or anything <laughs> like that. It's like you're like. You mean no conflict in, in an entire script? That's what we mean, yeah. Make sure. <laughs> we, you can Have fun with it. Do whatever you like. But just... <laughs> we don't want any confrontation because we're a family. Uh, that's yeah. the hook there. If anyone ever um, apologises for their behaviour, it's not us, just to be clear about that. <laughs> um, it's weird that you sort of say, uh, like, uh, 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 about sort of what you portray Freddie as in this story, because um, according to um, Freddie in his own words, uh, he says in um, a, uh, a, bio, uh, a biography uh, someone wrote of him, but it's a quote from Freddie Mercury. Uh, I have visions of actually having a film made of my life story one day, which I would have a key part in. I might not play the lead myself. My dears, the things I've done in my lifetime, it'll be totally triple X rated, I'll <laughs> tell you. <laughs> it's like... I, you got to ask the question, would he have liked the PG-13 Bohemian Rhapsody? Mm. So... Um, I think we can kind of get into the movie um, now, if you like. Uh, the only other thing that I, I sort of I, I, I found, Chris, do you have anything? I guess the only other thing I was going to say is there was a there was a there was a time when Bren Whishaw was going to play the role as well. Mm. Um, there was about a year, I think, where it, it looked like he was going to play Freddie. Um, but you know, they ended up with Rami Malek, who was kind of a surprise when they announced that. I, I remember people um, not being sure. You know, the 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 dude from Mister Robot and, and Night in the Museum. Um, playing this, you know, icon of music, but he did all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he did. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, 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 a Malika, if that's what his fans are called. But yeah, I think he's, um, he's good. Uh, very quickly, uh, Freddie. I just thought I'd say this because you know. It's a movie podcast. Freddie Mercury was a big fan of films. I'm going to list you very quickly uh, four of his favourite films because I think it's quite interesting. Uh, first of all, A Night at the Opera, one of his favourite films. Obviously, they named an album A Night at the Opera in, and A Day at the Races. He likes the Marx Brothers. And when they toured America in the 70s, they met Groucho Marx, um, who had written to them praising their choice of album names. <laughs> he also loved Some Like It Hot, uh, he also loved Cabaret and he also loved Highlander or at least the 20 minutes of Highlander that they were sent when they were asked by uh, Russell Malarkey. M- 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 How do you pronounce his name, Chris? Vicky? I don't know. Do you know? No, no idea. Anyway, the director, the director of Highlander, um, they were only meant to do one song for it and he sent them 20 minutes and they went, oh, we're going to do a song each. So <laughs> that's why we get It's a Kind of Magic, uh, Princes of the Universe and Who Wants to Live Forever on the Highlander soundtrack. Okay, let's talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I nearly forgot. His other movie that he loved is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, he was a big fan. Yeah, of course. Um, he was a big fan. And shortly after he saw it, Tim Curry and Freddie Mercury became friends. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> which covers this week's obligatory 
Tim Curry mention on Clash of the Titles. Thank you very much indeed. Um, young young Tim Curry would have been a good uh, Freddie Mercury, actually. Yeah. Wouldn't he? Mm. Apparently they became friends. And uh, Curry, which I didn't know, Tim Curry is a clean, clean horticulturalist. And um, he designed a garden for Freddie Mercury. And Freddie came back from tour and called him and said, the garden, dear, it's dead. <laughs> and Tim Curry said, what, did you water it? And Freddie said, water it? <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. He just says, how many holes does a straw have? Zero, one, or two. The internet can't figure it out, so I've done what any sane person would do. Ask the Luke and the Pete. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Luke Moore for an unplanned half hour every Monday and Thursday as we talk about, well, anything really, from your emails to life's great mysteries to this guy. The noise you're going to hear sounds like a man being interrupted by a car. He isn't being interrupted by the car. He is making yes. the car sound. <laughs> How on earth is he doing that? Beep, 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 beep. How does he make that noise? Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beep, 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 beep. The Luke and Pete Show is a Stakhanov production. Right then, let's get into Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, first things first, um, big fan of any movie that has fun with the studio logo at the start and the fact that Brian May and Roger Taylor recomposed the 20th Century Fox theme ticks all kinds of boxes for me. It really threw me because I thought it sounded like an 8-bit video game. Um, it sounded like something... <laughs> until I realised what it was, I was like, why is it like a Commodore 64? Oh, right, yeah. Oh, cool. Wait, I've got, I've got visions of you banging the side of your TV. Yes. What's Mark? Mark, what's wrong with the TV? Broke at the fucking telly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're thrown into um, the, the world of uh, Freddie Mercury before he became Freddie Mercury, and uh, we get our first look at those freaking teeth. Yeah. Uh, I, and I was prepared for them this time round, and I was still, still broadsided by those teeth, <laughs> they are, there's something else. Um, Do they change and, them halfway through? Because the uh, first yeah, few I scenes, so. he can't, he can hardly, the poor man can hardly talk. And then about a third of the way through, it's fine. So to mm. me, the prosthetics were changed. And when I first watched this at my sister's, I missed the first 10 minutes. And then I thought I'd missed the scene this time around where he goes, oh, I've been to the dentist, don't worry, like it's sorted. Because <laughs> they're so bad at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He um, he sort of his mouth like like you're right. He can barely talk in them at the start, and I don't know when those scenes were shot in the chronology of like the schedule. But yeah, it gets better as it goes on. Apparently, after the film finished, uh, Rami Malek uh, kept the teeth as a memento and has had them cast in gold, um, which I imagine you would do when uh, some teeth win you an Oscar. <laughs> uh, 
That's just a, I didn't mean it was just the tea. I realised how that sounded. It was the performance. It, it was funnier than you intended, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Never funny on purpose. Um, yeah. Uh, so um, we see uh, Freddie watching um, the band Smile. Uh, initially, uh, in which he is not a member. Uh, Tim Staffel is the lead singer. Uh, Brian May is the guitarist. Roger Taylor is the drummer. He's watching them at a club. And in the end, he uh, Tim Staffel leaves. He leaves Brian May and Roger Taylor. So Freddie Mercury becomes the lead singer of Smile momentarily before he changes them to Queen. Uh, shall we do our first fact check? Ding, ding, um, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Utter bollocks. <laughs> Uh, I just nonsense, absolute <laughs> nonsense. I mean, yes, Tim Staffel left Smile and Freddie Mercury joined, but he didn't just meet Brian May and Roger Taylor that night. He bloody lived with Roger Taylor. They ran a market stall together where they sold clothes and they all knew each other. He knew Brian May as well. So that's nonsense uh, for a start. Um, I feel as we continue to fact check this, there is a statement from Anthony McCartan, the screenwriter, who says, um, we're making a movie here, not a documentary. So that's his uh, defense at all fact checks in this. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I guess, you know, what is truth? Um, how honest does a biopic have to be? It's just, I think it's good to call out when it just seems unnecessary or it's almost presenting a lie. I think that's when it's important for us to underline it because... Um, there were just some bizarre flights of fantasy in this film, I think, that are just uh, mm. unnecessary. Yeah, but also it's the thin end of the wedge, isn't it? Because the primary issue is that the person that it ends up being about, whether they intended it or not, is not there to correct it or to impact the script in any way because they're deceased. So that's very, that can be benign as in, well, we didn't run a market stall in this version of my life. Fine, whatever. But then it gets worse as in the misrepresentation, I think, becomes more problematic and actually quite dark towards the end. But we'll get there. Uh, Dexter Fletcher did say about because obviously he had a hand in both of these films and he said that he was um, he said this is a biopic and, and Rocket Man's a, a musical but he said this is a biopic made by people trying to protect Freddie Mercury's legacy and their own legacies whereas Rocket yeah. Man I could just go to Elton John and say I want to put all this dark stuff in and he said fine do what you like and so yeah. he said that was the major difference here. And so I think that that sort of feeds into why a lot of this is is changing. It's just some of the times it's weird. Like for this, in this instance, why would you you tell this lie? Why didn't you tell that he wasn't mates with all these guys already it, to make it more dramatic? But it's not. It's a lie. It's selling us a lie. And I just I don't understand it. I think it's I think it's it's really funny what you said, Victoria, about how the. The lies as the movie goes on, they seem to follow the pattern of um, what a film's story would be. So yeah. you save like the, the big climax for the end of your film. And this movie goes, I'm saving the biggest lie for yep. the very end. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's, I don't want to like bang the drum too much because it's a film and whatever, but... You're using so you're using it as a framing device, and that is scary. Like that's not your story to tell. And if you're going to tell it, you have to do it 
with I'm not saying it's not respectful. And then on the other hand, again, who maybe who knew him better than they did? So you can see both sides of the argument, but yeah. it's just a bit of a troubling watch, and it, it maybe just takes you out of the film at the at the most basic level. It disturbs you from your enjoyment of the film because you think, hang on, like that didn't happen like that. I don't. Know. Yeah, oh, I, I think that's I think I think that's the bottom line. I think, like you said at the start, Chris, that you end up in a situation where you're watching a movie that. You go. This is. I'm. I'm now watching a work of fiction. I'm not yeah. watching a biopic. And if I'm watching a work of fiction, why is it not better? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um. But yeah. Um. Uh, we also get introduced to Mary Austin uh, around this time. Uh, another ding ding fact check. Uh, she was actually um in a kind of relationship with Brian May, and Freddie went up to Brian May and went hi. Um. I, I, are you serious with Mary? Because if not, I'm going to ask her out. And Brian May was like, "Go ahead." And so Freddie asked her out. So, um, so not has it's portrayed in the movie. And that fact comes from the lips of Brian May and bloody self. So that is a fact. Um, so yeah, then we um, then we start to see uh, my favorite aspect of the film, and you only get two hits of this, which is Queen making music together in a recording studio, which I, like the bit where they're putting together their first track and they, they start to mess about with it and start swinging speakers about and putting yes. coins on drums. That's brilliant, yeah. Isn't it? I love that. You're like, wow. I see these guys as like bloody, like a creative force, experimental. This is how Queen became this phenomenal band by just sort of going... Let's just fuck around. Let's see what we can do here. And it's cut well, and it's exciting, and it's it's almost like a completely different bloody tempo to the rest of the film. It's like quick cuts here and like, but it's, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, me too. Um, up until the bit where they all have to have a line, uh, where uh, <laughs> uh, Freddie goes, "Yeah, why don't you um do that? Do that the Lars from right to left." And then Brian May goes, yeah, but the centre for the last. And then they have to give Roger Taylor something to say. And he goes, and then blast it. It's like, what? Why? It doesn't. I get it. You all wrote the song. But, and also, and then blast it. It doesn't need all the, It's like, you know, when you said at the start, it's like, a little bit of this movie is on the nose. There you go. Right there. Oh, so you all wrote the song. I got that from you all being in the bloody room. Yeah, And then blast it. Yeah. So, um, I do like the bit, uh, and this is a this is a fact check that is true, uh, where they're going on top of the pops for the first time, and they do not like the fact that they have to lip sync, um, and they have an argument with how, the producer. How is that true, though, Alex? I, I've because I've been you know, something I've been writing. I've been doing quite a lot of research into top of the pops, and mm-hmm. lately, in every single artist knew that people you mimed on top of the pops. It was a great frustration mm. all through the 60s and 70s, but it, it was no mm. secret, and I don't see how the members of Queen would suddenly be surprised when they got there that they weren't able to play live <laughs> because no one had played live on Top of the Pops in 20 years. <laughs> um, two things. Firstly, you know... Maybe it was their first time on Top of the Pops and they thought, oh, other people are choosing to lip sync, but we're queen, we'll do it ourselves. Um, um, Or maybe it's the fact that when I said I fact-checked this, uh, what I meant was (laughs) I realised that my fact is not really a very good fact now. Um, My my fact is that people lip-synced on Top of the Pops. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Good fact. <laughs> Good fact. No, it, it, it was that I never knew. There is more to it. I never knew why people lip synced on top of the pops. And uh, the reason, you know, you get the producer, uh, the guy's just going, this is the BBC. That's how things are done. Now, don't be a nuisance. Blah. Wow. Um, he, uh, what he's saying is... Um, is because Top of the Pops, when it began in 1964, the producers of the program decided that performers would lip sync rather than sing their songs. And it was a choice they made because the British Broadcasting Corporation openly stated that then it's more ethical and honest for the performers to lip sync than to sing as the program promoted the records and therefore the viewers and the audience members had the right to know exactly how the record sounded, which I think is fascinating. So I was going to say they lip sync because everyone was shit and that's basically the same answer. So you don't want to hear yeah. how shit everyone is. <laughs> it's the same answer put through a PR department. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. What else of notes really happens? We see um, the guy who sings with Queen now pops up in a cameo, Adam Lambert. He's the trucker that gets out of the truck when they're touring in America and um, gives Freddie the uh, the look and uh, heads off to the bathroom until he begins oh, to understand is Freddie. It? Oh, I see. Mm. I, I thought... Yeah, I've seen. I didn't recognize. I've seen. I've seen Adam Lambert play with Queen on the telly and loved it, but I just mm. didn't. I didn't spot it. I thought that w- that scene was quite spooky. It's almost like a grim look into his own future as he sees this sort of apparition walks by of... of, of I will be of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I thought it was... I mean, you know, truckers like tend to scare me. I watched Duel when I was far too young, so I've I've uh, uh, an innate terror of trucks and and truckers. So, uh, apologies to any truckers who are listening. I'm sure you're lovely. Uh, uh, it's not about you. It's about those sort of faceless truckers who who um who who chase cars. You. <laughs> truckers are such a long distance truckers. Are such a large part of our demographic. You've really messed up, pal. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I feel there may be a formal apologies in order. When I'm talking about truckers, I'm talking about the specific trucker in um, in Duel. Uh, <laughs> and so if you if you're not him, but you are a trucker, that's fine. Excellent. Um, let's talk about um, the bit where two great actors, well, a great actor. Well, let's talk about a bit that I really love. I think I am in love with Tom Hollander. Uh, oh God, I me too. Oh my God, me too. At- Thank God He's... for him. <laughs> he, I, I was like, has he been given a different, better script? Because everything he's saying is much better. Uh, no, it's just because he is good and he has taken your script and he has made it good. Uh, yeah. Like, just like he can point at a poster of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and, and manage to just sort of go, you produced this album, didn't you? And it's like, it carries so much, like, I oh, I get every sentiment and yeah. you haven't had to go, you produced this album and the songs were quite long. And so why are you complaining <laughs> about Bohemian Rhapsody being long? <laughs> I got that from you produced this album because you're Tom fucking Hollander. Sorry, I got a little bit funny about uh, about that, but uh, that's how I feel about Tom Hollander. And also we get Mike Myers in that scene. As, oh, um, no. As- <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, the first time I saw this scene, I was like, oh, cool. My, my, all right, whatever, fine. And then, yeah, the Wayne's World thing, cool, I get it. And then this time round, I just got disproportionately annoyed by this line where he says in his accent, they won't play that on the radio, period. It's like, for fuck's sake, 
people from the north of England do not say period unless they're talking about menstruation. Yes, period. That it just it's just such a basic thing. Like say, oh sorry, is anyone from England in this room? Oh yeah, what fucking loads of you? Oh, just to just to check, <laughs> would any man? From the north of England, say period to mean full stop. Nuh-uh. Okay, let's just take it out. He also, <laughs> had, he, he also has a line, uh, one of my least favourite lines in the film, that reminds me of one of my least slash most favourite lines in film history, something that Billy Zane says in Titanic. To, to show that he's a villain, you hear his character go, what's his name? Something Picasso. He won't amount to anything. He won't, trust me. <laughs> Oh, so this guy's a villain. Um, and, and Mike Myers gets to say in this film, by the end of the year, no one will know the name Queen. And you just know, you know that that never happened. That bloke did not say that. Well, it's not a real bloke he's playing, is it? He's not playing a real bloke, I don't think. He's playing... Um, no, are he's you, not. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. He's playing a version I mean, of, I... a, of a studio, a, a, radio, a record executive whose name I can't remember, but it's not the same bloke. Maybe because they didn't want to make that bloke look as stupid as they make this bloke look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's Ray Featherstone is sort of who people think he's based on, but I think he's more of an amalgamation of various EMI executives who did quite rightly complain about the length of Bohemian Rhapsody because it wouldn't get played on the radio. I know you mentioned the Wayne's World line and you were like oh I'm okay with that V I was like I just couldn't I couldn't stomach it where he's like you know when he wants to put Roger Taylor's song he's like the single should be I'm in love with my car that's the kind of song teenage boys can bang their heads to not Bohemian Rhapsody not and it's like is this a nod to Wayne's World in the life story of Freddie fucking Mercury I just I was you're just like (laughs) Do you think? Do you think wherever he is, uh, in like he's looking down and going, make sure the one thing, <laughs> make sure there's a reference. You can do whatever to you like. Nineties <laughs> comedy, but it it's that thing. It's like we do not want to besmirch the legend of Freddie, a Wayne's World gag. Yeah, stick that in. That's hilarious, Mike. <laughs> Uh, the, the issue is it complete. It just completely takes you out of the movie because you're already yeah. you're already sitting there going bloody hell. That's Mike Myers. What's Mike Myers doing in this? Is that accent any good? I'm not mm. sure if that accent's no. any good this time. And then for him to then bloody do a Wayne's World joke, you're like, oh please, please. I was I was expecting bloody Dana Carvey to show up as a roadie later in the film. <laughs> um. So yeah, let's uh, let's move on to uh, uh, the other recording session in the movie, which is the um, the recording of Bohemian Rhapsody, which again I really loved. Uh, I thought it was great. Um, apparently, um, Brian May turned up on the day that uh, Gwillem Lee, who plays him in the movie, was doing the guitar solo uh, to watch him film that. I'm like, that's cruel. Yeah. I'm terrified. <laughs> like, why, you know, why pick a day when it's just a bit of chatting in a room? Don't pick up the day where a non-guitarist is playing your guitar <laughs> to Bohemian Rhapsody, dickhead. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, he turned up on that day. Um, I quite like the fact um, that, uh, I, I mean, they do really, really love the I'm in love with my car gags in this movie. That is yeah. the that's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Anthony McCartan went, oh wow, I can I can drag this gag out for what six scenes? There's a scene like later at a party where for uh, no point Brian May just turns to stay and goes, so what's the sexiest part of a car, Roger? It's like that was half an hour ago. <laughs> it was five years no ago. One cares. It was five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you're bringing up a joke from five years ago. Yeah, Alex, and, the film wasn't playing out uh, in real time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I did a little fact check on them um, on this, and actually, that bit, that little sort of pretend bacon throwing argument, a weird thing to do. How do we show that he's really annoyed? He's going to throw some bacon out of a pan at Brian May. I don't know, like. <laughs> I just, yeah, you know, it's like just, hey, shut up about, I'm loving my, have some bacon. Get bacon down you. Um, but in reality, um, there was, they, I think they were quite, Roger Taylor really did want that song um, and and then to perform it and, and it to be a Queen song. And the others really didn't like it. And it was quite fraught. And in the end, they sort of went, fine, it can be a B-side to Bohemian Rhapsody um, because Bohemian Rhapsody went on to be such a massive hit. Roger Taylor got so much money from royalties from the sales <laughs> of that single, which is hilarious for the song "I'm in Love with My Car." It's an interesting um, fact about our Queen. Actually, uh, they're they're the only band, or like the only four piece, where each member um, wrote a number one. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, in their own right. And I can't remember the the, the ones that the the lesser the 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 less songwritery members did, but they all wrote absolutely huge Queen songs. Obviously, Brian May's "We, we Will Rock You," but um, yeah, no other no other band of four members has done that. Yeah, and it was only after again, uh, this is a much later fact check, but I'll drop it in now. Um, that scene further on where they're like, from here on in, all songs are going to be credited to Queen, not us individually, because family, family, mm. we're family, and you're like, okay. That genuinely happened. However, it didn't happen until much later, like mm. after Live Eight. It was the album after Live Eight. Sorry. Uh, so uh, the only other uh, bits and pieces I really had was um, I enjoyed uh, the fact that they got to dress up in drag uh, for "I Want to Break Free." Um, as a kid, Roger Taylor in that, uh, I was like, "Wow, he looks great as a woman." And every Halloween. Uh, that is the bar I set myself when I dress up uh, in drag for Halloween. Do I look as good as Roger Taylor in the I Want to Break Free uh, video? Uh, until I, I look uh, at it again, and it, I don't know what. As a kid, I thought he looked really hot, and now I'm not so sure. I think maybe um, I've surpassed You look better. That's <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. Very <laughs> long-winded way of saying that I look great uh, in drag. That was it. That was it. Uh, so... Um, before we get on to the big one, Live Aid, uh, let's touch on Paul Prenter uh, because he, he's um, the bad guy in this. Uh, he leads Freddie astray. And in reality, uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor do think that he was instrumental in making some bad decisions on Freddie's behalf and getting him into uh, the naughtiness of his life. We can't actually mention what that naughtiness is because we're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. So... <laughs> Well, he, he's how I learned a lot of um, a lot of stuff about Freddie Mercury was him selling, you know, they, they'd touch upon it, but him selling all his stories to the tabloids and my mum was a reader of the news of the world. I can remember this bloke um, revealing all these sort of ju- this juicy gossip about him, about the parties and the drugs and the dwarves and the sex and what have you. Yeah, he sold it. I mean, he sold it to the sun um, for... I think it was about £20,000, but it was in the sum. Uh, he did sell the story, so he was a bad one in that respect. Uh, he did not reveal it, as is in the movie, on a German chat show. Which <laughs> is, uh... It's a strange choice creatively, isn't it, to make? Why not have this? Fuck it, do the spinning newspaper. Why not? Da-da-da-da-da-da. 
<laughs> but it's sort of like, I think they just got confused. They're like, well, Freddie hasn't come back to the UK. We haven't seen him return to the UK on screen yet, so he's still in Germany. So it would be a German chat show. It's like, just have him back in the UK then. Sad, like, yeah. have him re- picking up a copy of The Sun at the bloody airport. Not a German <laughs> chat show. Uh I, actually, I, I know I'm making fun of the fact there's very little drugs on screen. There are. Um, in the back of a, a limo, uh, Paul Prenter does give Freddie a pill of some description. <laughs> and it doesn't doesn't change Freddie's behavior in any way. But thankfully, uh, Aidan Gillen is there to go, you're, you're not yourself, Freddie. Don't fire me. You're not yourself. And you're like, he is. He's exactly no. Nothing's happened to him. He, he Also, he just swallowed a pill. Like, well, you're off your f- Freddie, it's the drugs. He's fine. He literally took the pill two seconds ago. What is happening? What is it? What, and also, what what drugs are these? Which is and then and then when Mary Austin turns up at his um, flat in um, Munich and she's like, "There's half drunk champagne glasses everywhere." You, you, you've gone over the edge. Well, the fa- the famous the famous story wasn't it was dwarves with with uh, trays of cocaine. And it's weird, they kind of want to acknowledge it by when you yeah. arrive at the party in the film, there's dwarves handing out party favours. So they're like saying, yeah, yeah we, we know, but we're just not going to do it. We're just not going to yeah. show it. Yeah. Uh, in the film's defence, uh, when, when Mary Austin does come to his Munich flat, there is a tray um, with some lines of cocaine. No one does them. Uh, or has yeah. done them, which seems strange because it's it famously Moorish. It's Moorish. So, uh... <laughs> <It's definitely> Moor- <laughs> I've yeah. heard those rumours. <laughs> um, although there is there is one good line. I literally wrote down, best line. And the bit where Freddie Mercury goes, being human is a condition that requires a little anaesthesia. Um, I thought that was quite a good line. Mm. Um, and I checked. Uh, he never said it in real life, so no. that is actually a, a nice little bit of fiction. Uh, <laughs> A good that's what we'll call a good lie. Uh and also I think as we as you're building up to, to Live Aid, the other thing as well um is that you know they fall out over over Freddie doing some solo work, but um Roger Taylor did the first solo album of the four of yes, them. Yes, that's and- the most fact checking I did. And I was <laughs> incensed because Oh, but then again, I tried to see the other side of the coin because Brian May did a solo album before Freddie Mercury ever did and Roger Taylor. But you could argue, you could make the case that Freddie Mercury going solo is possibly a bigger deal, which is why the scene plays out like it does, which is them saying you're breaking up the band and you're doing it for money and you shit and then forcing him to grovelingly apologise later. But at the time, I didn't know that. So I was like, oh, I can't believe Freddie did that. That's terrible. And if you didn't fact check it later, you would, and you didn't know anything about his life, I don't know much about his life you walk away thinking oh what about him for doing that so that's not protecting his legacy is it no they, they released and i believe queen released an album that flopped and so they just said oh let's give let's give solo projects a go um and so it wasn't this huge falling out as it's for, that lasted years as, as portrayed here but obviously that's not mm. the worst of what's to come here so Back to you, Al. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, yeah, Paul Prenter was uh, eventually kicked out of Freddie's life uh, for throwing a massive party at his flat in London uh, without his permission. And then when Freddie got mad, started saying, oh, I'll, I'll reveal this and reveal that. And Freddie got rid of him. And he, he then bloody went on and did that, didn't he? So, live aid. Um, interesting. Um, let's talk about... The reality, the reality was not that um, 
Queen were a last-minute addition that uh, Jim Beach, Tom Hollander's character, had to call up Geldof and sort of go and and, and get them on the bill um, at the last minute. Although apparently Freddie Mercury did require some <clears throat> convincing. Uh, one biographer um, said that uh, Mercury held a grudge about not having been invited to collaborate on Bob Keldos' 1984 Do They Know It's Christmas single. And so he had to be persuaded uh, to appear as part of Live Aid. Uh, Geldof apparently rang B- Jim Beach and said, what's up with the old queen? It's the perfect stage for him. It's the entire world. <laughs> 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 Um, and also, it wasn't like it wasn't a reunion. The movie pictures it as like, are they going to be able to pull this off because they haven't performed together for so long? Freddie's been away. They've sort of like a they hadn't really broken up, um, so that's all a myth. They were just pursuing other things at the time. And B, they um, they'd like just come off the back of uh, their worldwide tour for their 1984 album, The Works, and their last show of that tour was eight weeks before Live Aid. And, uh, <laughs> quote, they were extremely well rehearsed for the show. <laughs> like, what? what? What is happening? Um, and then, obviously, um, the big reveal just before they take the stage at Live Aid is uh, the revelation that Freddie Mercury has got AIDS, uh, which I'm sure is what you were alluding to earlier, Victoria, when you said uh, some of it is just kind of fucking, excuse my language, wrong. <laughs> I do. I, I mean, the, the, what we're trying to say, the most sanitized version of what I want to say is that using um, someone disclosing their status as a framing device is very awkward when that person isn't around to give it the okay. It just makes me feel uncomfortable that, and it maybe it wasn't intentional, but him receiving his diagnosis at the point at which it comes in the film feels like it's a punishment, and we, you know, we can't be having that. Um, and then by re- and then by disclosing his status to his bandmates, it feels like an apology. And it might just be me. I might I might be reading stuff that isn't there. Um, but equally, the given the fact that that's not how it happened, that's the worst bit about it. Like, I don't think you should mess around with the timeline of something like that without the without having the person who it affects to say that's okay. I think you should leave that alone. And um, it's not even just how it happened. It's like it's it's whether he even knew at that point. There's like yeah. there's question marks over whether Freddie Mercury himself before Live Aid even was aware that he had contracted AIDS. Um, And it was um, the spectator uh, called it the most callous rearrangement of facts. Um, um, And it is, it's, I agree with you. It just seems like, it seems like one thing that should not be messed about with. Yeah, but then equally, I've thought about this a lot this week. And if you believe his bandmates and that they are family and they wouldn't do it, I don't believe that someone would act in a way that would hurt someone or hurt their memory or be that district because it's quite dark to do that to someone that you say you love. So you just have to believe that they would think that it would be all right by him because they did know him that well. And if they were family, they were family. So I don't know. But then it frames because this is the reason I didn't want to watch it. When you, I asked you, Alex, did, you know, do they say that he found out about his illness before Live Aid, and it becomes about that? And you said yes, and I, I just thought I'm not interested in this because, as I knew it, he didn't find out for a couple of years, and he certainly didn't mm-hmm. tell his bandmates until about six months before he died. And so mm-hmm. to turn Live Aid into 
this triumph over an his illness rather than just a fantastic rock and roll show by a brilliant band. It's a, yeah. it's a very, making it this musical triumph over an illness rather than rock and roll. It's just, a, it really doesn't sit right with me and it feels like a betrayal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's not just one thing. It's it's like you've already you've already faked the the idea that it's a reunion, and like you've already got that. So if you if you're going to play with something and go, what is going to be our hook here? It can't just be like, look, they're really great, and they've come off tour. So yeah. fine, they broke up. They hadn't rehearsed together. Fine. You don't then need to layer on another no. thing. I think it's a, it's enough at that point um, to sort of like give it that extra oomph. For it to become this massively feel-good thing, yeah, the band are back together, yeah. and and you yeah. either deal you either deal with the reality of the situation, which is uh, the amazing work he did after Live Aid when he was very ill, and he continued to record with them and, and recorded some amazing uh, records before he passed yeah. away, yeah. and and show that, or you tell the truth and end it with Live Aid on a real high and then put up on screen what happened to Freddie afterwards. But to, to amalgamate yeah. them, I, I've got no problem with shifting events around historically to tell your story, but this this seems wrong. Mm. Yeah, and I agree. He did some amazing work after Live Aid. It's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic is my favourite Queen song. And that came around just after Live Aid. So... um. It's almost everything we've just said. It's not in, like entirely forgivable, but it is almost because, wow, that final Live Aid recreation is magnificent. I loved it. And that's that's the thing I remember from walking out of the screening the first time around. Uh, when I saw it for the first time, I walked out genuinely with endorphins coursing through my body because it was such a brilliant way to end that film. And I, I'm even surprised that they cut two songs from it. I think they cut We Will Rock You and um, I can't remember what the other one is uh, from, like that performance. I could have watched the whole thing. Um, it's just wonderful. Brilliant. What did you guys think? Uh, well, I, I got no interest in seeing Adam Lambert, as good a singer as he is, fronting Queen. So um, it's super exciting to see Queen live like this with a version of Freddie Mercury that I've never got to see. But what I would say is it made me wish I'd seen it in a cinema. I think this would be an amazing scene to watch in a cinema on a huge screen with an audience around you. Um, I do not think it's as good at home on the telly, particularly as I can just go on YouTube and watch the original performance. Um, it's almost so weird. It, it's that, almost not necessary yeah. for me to watch this now, and so I think I didn't get the best version of this, which would have been in a movie house. You didn't get the best version of it because I watched it last night, and I, I, I was literally I sort of sat through this whole film like in the back of my head, going, "But it's going to be worth it because remember, remember what that Live Aid bit is like at the end." And I was waiting for it, and I was like, I was forgiving everything because I was like, "But." It earns its stripes at that performance. And I watched it, and I have quite a big TV. I think I've mentioned it before. <laughs> and uh, Oh, my God. Uh, what a dad uh, moment that was. That was weird. <laughs> I've got a massive telly. Yeah, it's a, a, a very big um, curved Samsung TV. All, all the podcast profits out. coming in. 
uh, yeah, you should not have let it be put into my account and then me <laughs> siphon it off to you. And um, so, uh, yeah, I, but I watched it at home and I was like, it's not good. I felt like, and that's that was the big the the reason I think I've come into this a little bit disappointed with Bohemian Rhapsody today is that I just I, I, the thing that I was holding out for its redeeming thing does not work on the small screen nearly as well. What did you make of it, V? Uh, it's too long, <laughs> and if I'm if I'm honest, I started doing something else. Now, not because the scene isn't very well done, because it is, but I'm just not a massive fan of Queen. Like I like, I know their music. They're you know they they're so famous and so well known, but I'm not that big a fan that I would get a thrill that would last oh, fucking 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is. Um, so I was like, yeah, cool. I've seen that now. So I'm so, just going like, to check my phone and stuff. What you're trying to say, Vicky, is you were, you were literally waiting for the hammer to fall. <laughs> hey! is, that, is that a Queen reference? Yeah. They okay, sing yeah, it in cool. that sequence. They sing it in that scene. Uh, oh, do- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I say, I'm not lying. I was doing something else. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a reference to the movie that you watched for this podcast. That's where that reference is. Second time I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I was busy. Uh, um, so... Uh, that's pretty much uh, your Bohemian Rhapsody. It was a huge hit. Uh, it uh, had a budget of $52 million, a worldwide gross of $903 million. It is the highest grossing musical, musical biopic of all time worldwide. It's uh, the highest grossing biographical film of all time. It's Fox's. Uh, or the, the artist formerly known as 20th Century Fox's fourth highest grossing film uh, in history worldwide. And when you think about the ones before it, they are Avatar, Titanic and Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, wow. then Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow. So it's a big deal. And it um, it won four Oscars. Um Best actor for Rami Malek, of course. Best film editing, best sound editing, best sound mixing. Uh, And that Oscars, the 91st Academy Awards, it was the film that won the most Oscars at that ceremony. So it's gone on to have Mm. a huge success. Well done, Brian Singer. And I know I've been... (laughs) That's why Rami fired you as his speechwriter. Because... (laughs) Rami, if you do pick up the Oscar, open with a thanks to Brian Singer. I don't feel he's being mentioned enough this awards season. Yeah, and everything that I've said, though, I still enjoyed it. Like, yeah. I, I, I really do love this movie, and it is what it's the reason that you started doing something else, Victoria, rather than um, waiting for Chris's Hammer to Fall reference, um, because I love Queen. Like, I do still love the music of Queen, and... I just like the, I wish it had more songs in it because I could just listen to Queen all day, every day. It's like a solid, a solid compilation, a good greatest hits, um, without without getting any deeper than that. Um, and I have written down actually as one of my potential changes when we do the bits is is more songs, less film, <laughs> you know, <laughs> less dialogue, more <laughs> tunes. But um, should we do the bits? Oh yes, let's do the bits. So I am. Um, I've got an additional one this week, as you two both know. If you remembered, um, you might have oh, given what? yours away. Vicky, you... did you remember? No, um, I'm. <laughs> uh, I shall wing this. Uh, carry on. Uh, well, you've already said it, Alex. So uh, we can leave it till the end. But it's what is your favourite Queen song? Sure, Vicky. Okay. Have you got one? Um. Yes. Uh, it's uh, it's called Bohemian Rhapsody. 
Uh, um, I nearly, I nearly even put in the, I nearly yeah. even put in the text apart from Bohemian Rhapsody, but that's fine. Bohemian Rhapsody. Alex, what's yours? <laughs> my favourite Queen song. Yep. Uh, uh, my favourite Queen song is "It's a Kind of Magic," yeah. Yeah. or, um, oh. or maybe Flash. I remember when I first heard Flash, I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, this is amazing!" Um, but yeah, it's a kind of magic. What's yours, Chris? Uh, aside from Bohemian Rhapsody, I am going for. I was torn between "Don't Stop Me Now" uh, and this one, but I'm going for this one, "Somebody to Love" because I like I like the soul in that one. Um, what is your mm. favourite scene, Vicky? Uh, the making of Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> no, not because I'm mm. running out of ideas, but just because. Um, Obviously, that's what we've been waiting for, given the name of the film. And Alex has mentioned the cuts between the editing and the direction in those scenes when they're recording music. And I think it's really good. And it makes you realise, for me, for the first time, what a ridiculous risk it was to do a song like Bohemian. Or, you know, they, they convinced me that it was a ridiculous risk. So it, that, for me, is a scene well done. I agree uh, with Victoria about that scene being amazing um, because I think in terms of filmmaking, it's just the most natural all the cast are. It feels like a genuine conversation between some blokes in a recording studio slash farm, as opposed to quite stilted dialogue, desperate to tick boxes in the life story of Freddie Mercury. So it feels they're they're all at their best. All the actors seem really relaxed in that scene. Uh, so I like it. Um, but uh, the best scene for me is Live Aid, uh, full stop. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you, Alex. We might We might have been a bit negative towards it but i think it is the best scene in the film and it does go some way to capturing uh the magic of that band and that singer on stage which is you know something hard to do so uh mvw alex you go first on this one oh i'm gonna be one of those annoying people music it's the music it's the queen songs uh facts like it's you know i think rami does a really good job as freddie mercury i really like his performance but you know it's uh, it's all about the music and when the music's being played this film is like next level and when it's absent it's um a little bit it can be a bit plodding at times so yeah the music makes it i say that as a queen fan a massive queen fan uh, I'm going to jump in now. My MVW is the songs as well, um, because I feel like um, these for these films to work, they need to work without the songs. And I don't think this one would if those tunes weren't there. Th- there's no film. So uh, and they are brilliant songs so yep the tunes how about you vicky well I, well I would say the music even though i'm not a huge queen fan i know how good the music is um or what's the actor called that plays roger taylor oh i don't know with the blonde Which hair one's that? is it is it is it ben hardy or joe mazzello yes one of those ben two? hardy i saw him once at lewisham dlr station and i tell you what that man is a star and he lit up that dlr station and so i'm gonna give him the shout out this week for bringing a little bit of glitzy ritzy glamour to lewisham dlr station hey hey <laughs> uh, hey lewisham dlr <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's like down there it's mad <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I, I've never seen it lit up, but I would like to. <laughs> what would you change, Vicky? I would give Freddie Mercury back some of the intelligence and wit that he was very famous for because the lines that he's given, he seems a bit timid of himself and a bit, I mean, I mean I'm understating this hugely, a little bit cowed, a little bit 
uh, alarmed at his own sexuality, at his own very modest excesses within this film. He just doesn't seem himself, <laughs> basically. And he was such a known uh, bon viveur, if you will, and there's nothing of that here, and that's such a shame. Alex? Yes, Christopher. I would change the following. Um, I, I just... It's about a rock and roll star. And, like, I don't want to see a rock and roll star having a party that I know was full of decadence and debauchery and it looked like, you know, Hamleys are putting on a show in the foyer for kids. Even the lighting was wrong. Like, who leaves the big light on for a party? Do you know what I mean? Ridiculous. It was just, of all the things, it is so sanitised. Like, I, I just... It just made me go... I think at that point, more than anything, I was like, am I not meant to be watching this movie? Is this not a movie for me? It's, am I watching a kid's film? Like, <laughs> is it like, I just, I couldn't believe that like, I was being like, I was, they were treating me with kid gloves. This movie was treating me with kid gloves and, and sort of going, no, you, you can't see that. It's like, why am I watching a biopic of of, of this man and, and, and all of this if I'm not being shown like this? I just, it's too much for me. So, I mean, of, of all the bits, I think that party, especially, I was like, just give those dwarves some trays of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and put it on the poster. Um, uh, what we were talking about is mine, that, that, that to conflate um, Freddie Mercury's diagnosis with Live Aid, I thought was a mistake. Um, they're two separate events. So uh, present them independent of each other and give them their due separately. Um so that's that. That is the bits done. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, that is the book closed on that. Um, so, uh, Chris, uh, do you have a quiz for us? I have a quiz. I have a quiz. Hey. And this week it is... Um, please let it be all about Queen songs because I think I might have a chance. <laughs> it is uh, play your cards right. It's higher or lower. So uh, the show must go on. Uh, which was the clue I gave, uh, and is a song by Queen. That peaked at number 16 on the UK charts. So I'm going to give you songs by both of these artists, Elton John and Queen, and I want you to say if they are higher or lower than the last charting that I mentioned. So Show Must Go On was number 16. Was Elton John's Circle of Life, did that peak higher or lower? (gasps) Higher. Higher, higher. Correct. It peaked at number 11. Uh, Somebody to Love by Queen. Was that higher or lower than 11? Lower. Lower. Higher. That went to number two. Oh! Oh, did it? (laughs) Your song by Elton John. Did that chart higher or lower than Somebody to Love? Higher. It's higher number one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was number one. You're both wrong. It was number seven. No, no. Peaked at number seven. Uh, Queen's Don't Stop Me Now, was that higher or lower than number seven? (laughs) Higher. Um, It was... I'm getting bad with numbers and things like this. It was nearer to one than seven. Does that make sense? No, higher then. You're saying higher... But higher, in- Hi- but you've got higher up the chart though. We're going. It's a chart, so higher up the chart is always near okay, yes, number yes. one. High, but not a higher number. Do you know what I mean? Are you like, both saying higher? Yeah, I know it's down. not a high. Are you both yeah, saying we, higher? We both. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, we mean no, the opposite. But, <laughs> but no, we don't. We both mean higher up the chart. Yeah. Yes, we're saying the same thing. And, okay, you're, both, okay, and you're both and you're both wrong. It was lower. It only made number nine. Uh, okay. Goodbye, uh, Yellow Brick Road. Was that higher or lower than number nine in the charts? Higher. Lower. <laughs> Vicky's right. It was higher. It peaked at number oh. six. That's because it's fucking amazing. That's uh, we've got a double A side now. Bicycle race and fat bottom girls. Did that peak higher or lower than number six? I hate higher. those songs. So a hundred. I love them. If it's a lower, higher, a hundred. Higher. <laughs> lower. Higher. Uh, higher. It was lower. Vicky's got another point. Yay! That oh, was number 11. It peaked at number 11. Uh, uh, right, the original recording of Don't Let the, Sh- the Sun Go Down on Me by Elton John. Uh, so not Ooh, the duet. Higher. Higher. Higher than number 11. What about you, Alex? Higher or lower than number 11? Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm high, higher? You're both higher. wrong. It peaked higher. at number 16. Oh. oh. Who Wants to Live Forever by Queen? Did that peak higher or lower than number 16? Can I... Just ask if there are many more of these. <laughs> it's, uh, there's one more. Quite onerous. Okay, fine. What was the song? Who Wants to Live Forever by Queen. Oh, I lower. Oh. Alex? Yeah, higher. Uh, Vicky's right. So we don't yes! need to go on. No. Vicky's won the quiz. Yay! Yay! Yay, yeah, me! I, I, I threw that quiz so it would end. That's why I didn't win. <laughs> and, and you only got one right, Alex. So well done. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Elton John threw me. I don't know much about that bloke. Um, All right, great. Well, that is the end of the show. Episode uh, one of this week's Clash. We will be back on Thursday. Not episode one, part one. You know what I mean. We'll be back on Thursday with Rocket Man. Until then, please do get in touch on Twitter if it pleases you, at ClashPod, or you can email us show at ClashPod.com, or indeed uh, you can go onto Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and while you can't communicate with us, you can rate and review us, which we would greatly appreciate. Back on Thursday to do Rocket Man. Bye bye. And can we do a clue? Can we do a clue? Can we do a clue? Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, sorry. So, not but not by. Here's a clue, and then I'll, I'm not going to say bye again, dear listeners, because I've already said it. So I'm just going to let the clue sit with you. This is me saying goodbye, but as a clue. All right, so it's my turn to give out clues. I've got two clues if you think this is a little bit too um, mysterious. Are you ready? <clears throat> yep. Do my teeth look big in this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thrilled with myself. Do you want another one just because I've got it anyway? <laughs> yeah. You can cut it out if it's too obvious. It's made me laugh all week. So Wait a second. <clears throat> uh, we're going to need a bigger kitchen. I can't say it. <laughs> Wait, try again. We're going to need a bigger kitchen. (laughs) 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 Okay. All right. Anyway, cut it out of your shit. I don't care. (laughs) Well, those are your clues. We're going to need a bigger kitchen. And I'm going to leave both in. Do my teeth look big in this? What are our two movies? What are our two movies for next week? Uh, Let us know if you've got any guesses on Twitter at ClashPod. Bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.